Morning, church. We're going to continue our reading the book of Jonah. So please follow with me, Jonah 1, verses 7 to 10. And they said to one another, Come, let us get slots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is that that you have done? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. This is the word of the Lord. If you were to go on Google and, well, let me, re- let me start it again. The questions that people asked the most on Google in the year 2022 were these two questions. Number one, what should I watch? That was Googled 9,140,000 times each month. What should I watch on Netflix or whatever? Number two, where's my refund? 7,480,000 times every month. Those were the top two questions asked on Google in the year 2022. Now, as you know, Google does not give you answers to everything. It can give you answers to a lot. I learned how to tie a bow tie yesterday on Google for a school dance that I went to with my girls. But there are questions that Google cannot answer, or YouTube, or anything else, and those are the questions that are real. Google can't give you great answers to heart, soul, or deep questions, particularly the who questions and the why questions. So like the question of identity, who am I? What's my purpose? Why am I here? Try asking Google those questions and you won't find satisfying answers. So the, the world needs to find a place to find answers to those questions. Um, particularly, let's, let's talk about the identity question, because that's where we're going to be going this morning from Jonah, uh, chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. And as we think about the identity question of who am I, um, I want to give you an illustration that I thought was comical. Um, during the pandemic, when everybody went to Zoom, um, a lot of people have found found some troubles with Zoom, and um, and they found some they found themselves in some interesting situations. And so there's one story from February 2021, where during a hearing in Texas's 394th Judicial District Court, a lawyer popped up on the screen to begin this hearing, and he had a cat face on his face. It was like a one of these emojis that pops up on a filter. And he had his face, he was, had a suit, and he was, his face looked like a cat. And he couldn't figure out how to get the filter off of his face. So he's trying to engage in this serious hearing, 
and he looked like a cat. And he said, because <laughs> he, he couldn't see it himself, only the people on the other side. They said, you have a cat face. And he quoted memorably, I am not a cat. No, you're not a cat, Mr. Lawyer. But this, I had this question of identity, who am I? He couldn't figure out how to, how to get this thing off. I think he finally did. And after the fact, he lived into it and they had a comical moment out of it. But similarly, similarly today, maybe less comically, as we look at the story of Jonah on the boat with these sailors, we've been in Jonah a few weeks now. So if you, if you haven't been with us the previous few weeks, essentially what happened so far in the story, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm not going to go to Nineveh, God. So he gets on a boat and sails the opposite direction on this boat. And a storm comes. It says God sent a storm onto the sea, clearly to stop Jonah from running away. And so that's where we find ourselves now this morning in verse 7, is the storm is happening. They're on the boat. Jonah, this prophet of God, and these sailors who are on this boat together, halfway to Tarshish, the opposite direction, and the storm comes. And today we're going to look at the story of Jonah in relationship to these sailors because they begin asking him questions about his identity and Jonah begins to give answers back. The sailors clearly see something in Jonah that Jonah himself is not admitting about himself, kind of like the cat scenario with the lawyer. Something crucial about who, who, about his who identity that affects their why? Why is this storm happening? They see it as intimately connected to his, Jonah's identity. Why is this trouble happening? They see Jonah's identity as connected to it. So let me give you a couple of points to, to chew on this morning as we think about real faith. You know, I entitled the sermon, The Faith, The Kind of Faith the World Really Needs. Because the sailors are looking to Jonah for something that he really should have, but he ends up not having. And because of that, the sailors are affected. So the first point that I want to give, I want to turn this to us. It's easy to make Jonah the scapegoat in this story, but let's, let's turn it on us for a moment and, and think introspectively together. First point is this. People around you eventually will turn to you with their questions. So here you are. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're just a, a, a curious person coming to this place this morning, investigating Christianity. But as of this morning, you are a churchgoer. <laughs> Maybe this is the first time. I don't know all your scenarios. Maybe you've come to church your whole life. But as of today, you are now someone who has gone to church. Or at least maybe you could be considering yourself a Christian too. But what I'm going to say is when people go through difficult things in life or they're in a storm or in a trouble time, eventually they will come to you and ask you questions about why things are happening. And now you as a churchgoer or as a Christian can speak out of that experience of being a churchgoer or a Christian. So let's start with this point, verse 7 and 8. It says, you know, the, the sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. 
Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? When, when the big why things happen in our life, why is this disaster happening? People are going to start looking for answers. And so um, answers to questions in the midst of real trouble, crisis, tragedy, storms of life are natural. And all of us go looking for answers when things like that come to us. And so what is going on and how do we get out of this storm? That's essentially the question the sailors are asking themselves. And I I see in the book of Jonah in this first chapter, kind of a five-step process that they go through to try to find the answer to this. And I think it's actually, I actually resonated with this five-step process. Like whenever I go through something difficult or when I see how the world goes through something difficult, I see these five steps as kind of things that, that are common. So step number one, if you go back to verse five, so a couple of verses before. So we won't have that on the screen, but if you have it in your Bible, I can explain it a little bit. In verse five, it says the mariners were afraid, the sailors were afraid, and each of them cried out to their own God. Step one, when something scary or troubling or challenging happens, we all cry out for help to someone outside of us. And whether we acknowledge that that's a prayer or just like a cry for help, it actually is a prayer. We cry out to each our own God. Maybe, maybe that's going to look, you know, for help on Google. That's kind of a prayer. <laughs> um, but each of us deep in our heart cry out for someone to help us from the outside. That's step number one. Step number two is in the second part of verse five. It says, after they cried out to their own God, Then they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load for them. So they're like, okay, we're in the midst of a storm. Let's let's control what we can control. So that's step two. When something challenging happens, you do what you can control. You find something that you can do that is under your management. So um, again, I watch too many Disney movies because I have little girls, but in the movie Frozen, there's a part in the movie where Olaf, the snowman, um, they're in, a, they're in a, a stormy season. Something challenging is happening to their community. And he gathers some people around and he says, uh, when things feel out of control, you, you do things that you can control. Wisdom from Olaf. I think he's on to something there. When things are feeling out of control, you do something that you can control. So all of us kind of do that, I think. So the sailors, they throw the cargo overboard to try to lighten the load. That doesn't seem to help. In verse 6, it says what? Then they start and go wake up. They go wake up Jonah. So they say, Jonah, wake up. Call out to your God. So the third step is when we're in a storm, we go try to find other people to see if they can help with the problem. So again, picture if you have a flat tire on the side of the highway. You know, step one, God, why did this happen? Step two, let me see if I can fix this. You can't fix it. Step three, all right, I'm going to call AAA or I'm going to try to wave down someone on the highway. This is, so this is a very, I think this is a very relatable process they're going through here. Step four, verse seven, this is where we come to our passage. When it really begins to get serious and we're still not getting resolution, you zero in on one person that you think can really help. 
or you try to begin identifying that one person who can really help. Maybe it's a counselor, maybe it's a close friend, maybe it's a religious leader, maybe it's a community leader. And what I'm saying this morning is that eventually people will start coming to Christians or start coming to the church. When you get to a place where you don't know what else to do, most people will start then giving Christianity a chance. Okay, Christian, you seem to be someone who claims to have answers. Tell me what you think is going on and why this is happening. And so in Jonah 1, how they begin to go through this process of identifying the person is they do this thing called casting lots, which may sound foreign to you, but it's actually not that foreign at all. It's essentially the ancient version of drawing straws. It was their way of just trying to, to point out someone to, to start the process. And so when they were casting lots, they weren't trying to just find one person first. It was basically their way of just um, hearing from everybody in the group. It's like, okay, let's go one by one and just hear from each person what their role in the story is. And let's see if anybody seems to have more of a role in this story than anybody else. And so probably what they did, as I was reading about this this week, probably what they did is they probably each had like some kind of small object that was a different color and they put it into like a jar and then they kind of shook it up and rolled it out. And whichever one came out in a certain way, that's who they went with first. Now, what I think is interesting about this passage is it doesn't necessarily say that it landed on Jonah first. You know, we kind of assume that maybe, and maybe it did. But I think there is, there is possibility here that other people shared first. Maybe some of the other sailors shared their part of the story. And maybe just nothing was satisfying or, or clear about those people's stories. But whatever the case, it did land on Jonah eventually. And then Jonah got the microphone. Jonah, tell us your part of the story. And so the last step, step five, when you're going through stormy things is then you ask questions to that specific person. Counselor, pastor, community leader, dad. What is going on? Can you help me with this? And so Jonah here gets four questions. The spotlight is on him. Four questions, and they're kind of categorized around three themes. The first one is purpose. Jonah, what's your occupation? What are you doing? The second theme is the theme of place. Jonah, where do you come from? What is your country? And the third question is around race. Jonah, what people are you? These are questions of genuine curiosity by this, by this team of sailors. They're trying to figure out who Jonah is. What is his identity? And how is it tying in to their scenario? They're trying to see if he's credible to see if he can help fix the problem that they're in. Can Jonah help get them out of this storm? Or is Jonah the problem of the storm? And as Christians and as churchgoers and as people who are now curious about the faith, eventually people will turn to you too. Hey, I heard that you were going to a church. I'm going through a really difficult time. Do they ever talk about fill in the blank? What will you say back from your experience, whether it be a Christian who's been in the church for 60 years or a Christian who's been in the church one time? What answer would you give?
And so this is the second big point that I want to get into is that in verse 9 and 10, as Jonah begins to open his mouth and give answers back, we begin to see Jonah's identity problem. Jonah has an identity problem. Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. End quote. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So first off, let's see. I've already said Jonah has an identity problem. Let me tell you why I think he has an identity problem. First of all, Jonah seems pretty distant right off the bat. First of all, he was asleep in the ship. That's what Alan talked about last week. Um, so Jonah's kind of distant. He's trying to distance himself from the problem. He was asleep. And then when they wake him up, he's pretty direct in his answer. He doesn't go on very much. He's just like, this is who I am. And he only answers the questions that he's, or he only gives answers when he's asked questions. And you notice he doesn't even answer all the questions. He only gives a couple of answers to the questions. But those answers that he does give and the order in which he gives them he shows his cards here. I'm going to pause here because we're focusing on Jonah too much. Think about your life for a second. What is your identity? If someone were to ask you these questions right away in the midst of a storm, what would you say your identity is? How would you begin to answer questions like this? Is your identity centered around your job or your skills or even your calling? Is it centered around who your friends are or who your family is? Is it centered around where you live or what city you call home? Or is it even centered around your specific type of faith? Jonah's identity and the faith that he's showing himself in the public eye here is centered around his nationality. I am a Hebrew, is the first thing he says. Again, the order is important here. I am a Hebrew, is the first thing he says. And then the second thing he says is, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Notice that Jonah reverses the order from the, the order that the way the questions were asked. They asked him first, what is your occupation? And then they say, where do you come from? And then they say, where is your country? And then they say, what people are you? And Jonah answers the last question with his first answer. He prioritizes his race and he makes his place secondary. And then he totally ignores his purpose. Which, by the way, was a prophet of God to go to the other side of the continent and speak out against the evil that God had told him to do. Jonah ignores that part but he prioritizes his race as Hebrew, which the, so, the sailors on the ship are not. He says, I am a Hebrew. And by him saying, I am a Hebrew, he is essentially emphasizing the fact that I am something that you are not. Jonah is nationalistic at best, and at worst could even be considered racist in this book because of how he treats the sailors and how he's going to show himself to be treating the Ninevites of a faraway land. 
So he's nationalistic at best. He's already shown that his, his identity is found in being a Hebrew, being from, Jerusalem, or being from Israel, and he's shown that that's the primary part of his identity. You know, the word Hebrew actually uh, has a connotation of mean, meaning foreigner. So when they hear, I'm a Hebrew, he's saying, I'm a foreigner. But actually, if you dig a little bit deeper into the word, it actually has these connotations of being a wanderer. I am a Hebrew. He's essentially saying, I am a foreigner to you. But in another sense, he's saying, I'm a wanderer. I don't know where I'm going. You think about the story of Israel, um, the Hebrew people. All throughout the Old Testament, they are a people on the move. They're wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, trying to find the promised land, trying to be led by God. And they struggle with being faithful to God. And so when Jonah here is saying that I am a Hebrew, he is essentially distancing himself from the sailors in a nationalistic type of way, which is so dangerous. But then he's also admitting to them, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. God told me to go here, but I'm going here. I'm wandering. He's spiritually distant from God in the same way that he's distanced himself from the sailors nationally. The great irony here is that when Jonah does get around to his beliefs, his religion, about I fear the Lord God of, of the dry land and of the sea, the great irony is that the God he acknowledges of the sea is the same one that he's trying to escape from on the sea. So Jonah, do you really fear that God? Or are you just, is that just something you've been taught to say? It feels to me like there's an identity crisis about what he says he believes and what his actions are actually revealing about what he believes. This is hard stuff, I know. And amazingly, he never admits his occupation, that he's a prophet of God who's meant to be witnessing about the goodness of God, no matter who you are. And the, I think the sailors' answer and response to this is revealing because they're afraid, or even more afraid after he says this. They're exceedingly afraid. They don't, they don't have more peace after this. They're more afraid. They, they, they ask a question. They say, Why, what is this you have done? They're not, they're not more clear about their situation. They're more confused. And he, it says they already, they already were told that he, Jonah had said to them that he was fleeing. And so they're not seeing him as more credible at this point. They're seeing him as less credible or less helpful. He actually is the problem now, not the steadying, peaceful influence that they were hoping maybe to find. And so what should Christians like you and me then be able to provide to the questions that people have for us when they turn to us? How are we to answer the watching world when they ask us, what is your purpose? What do you think is going on in this situation? Who are you and how can you help me now that we're in this pickle together? So the last thing I want to leave you with is the kind of faith that the world really needs. Because I don't think we need the kind of faith that Jonah was offering the sailors. And I hope I, I'm making that clear. When the world looks our way, what must they find in us that they can't find anywhere else? So I'm going to give you a couple of markers of the kind of faith that I hope that we can have. And I pray that Jonah found eventually in his life. The first one is we need to be the kind of Christians who know whose we are. 
Not just who we are, but whose we are. So if we know who we are, that means we know what nationality we are, what race we are, what religion we have, what status we have in the world, what job we have. But if we know whose we are, that means that we know that we belong to God. That it's not about what we do for him, it's about what he's done for us. That we were bought with a price by the body of Jesus. That when Jesus died on the cross and raised on the third day, that was him purchasing, redeeming us back to God. So we belong to him. We are his people. We belong to him. His grace, his love, his mercy is then what defines our relationship to him. Not our faithfulness to him, but his faithfulness to us. The world needs Christians that know whose they are first. Jonah seemed to miss that part. He, was, he knew that he could try to be faithful to God, and he knew deep down he wasn't being faithful to God. I don't, I'm not sure Jonah shows us a convincing answer that he understood that he, was, he belonged to God, that he was a valuable person who God loved. We don't see evidence of that in his life. Trusting in Jesus first above everything else, even our nation, even our race, even our status, trusting in God alone first. Number two, the world needs Christians who live consistent then with that identity. If we say we trust the God who made the sea and the dry land, why would we ever flee from him on the sea or the dry land? Let's not just treat Jesus as, or God as part of our life, but as the fullness of our life, that our, our belief and our actions are consistent. So I heard an illustration this week that, that said this, imagine you invite me over to your house, Stephen White. You invite Stephen White over to your house. And what if, what if then you said, all right, I just want Stephen to come to my house, but not, not Stephen White. How ridiculous does that sound? It's like, well, I can't bring half of myself to you. I have to bring Stephen White to your house. And that's a little bit the illustration that I heard was comparing that to how sometimes we view Jesus. Is sometimes we take some parts of Jesus with us and leave some other parts behind. You know, pick out the doctrines we want like a spiritual buffet. And that's just not how it works. When Jesus says, come to me, he says, you have to take all of me, you know, the fullness of who I am. And that's what part of being this, having this consistent identity. Another um, example here about living consistently is, um, let me tell you this story of uh, Tim Keller. He's a pastor who um, has been very influential to me, but he talks about a Sunday school teacher he had when he was a kid. Who, who used this illustration. This was back in the 70s. Uh, changed his life with a simple illustration. Uh, he said that the teacher said this, let's assume that the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, let's say that was reduced to the thickness of this sheet of paper. So let's say that's this. This is the distance between the earth and the sun. If that's the case, then the distance between the earth and the nearest star is 70 feet high of stacks of paper. That's how far the earth is from the nearest star. And the diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. 
Then the teacher added, the galaxy is just a speck of dust in the universe. Yet the Bible tells us that Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. So finally, the teacher asked the students, is this the kind of person that you ask into your life to be your assistant? If that's the God that we're talking about, if that's who Jesus is, the one who upholds the universe by his pinky, he can't just be our assistant. He can't just be someone who assists us in the hard things, but is ignored in the other parts. He has to be Lord of it all. And that's the world needs consistent Christians who with their belief and their actions are together. Number three, I have four of these. Number three, we need, the world needs Christians who are courageous. Those who step up in times of crisis as leaders, not as those who are gonna make more fear or run away. Um, the book of Acts is full of this kind of examples of courageous Christians uh, who step into times of crisis, particularly verses 20, uh, chapters 27 and 28. Paul actually finds himself in a similar Jonah moment. There's a shipwreck. And Paul uh, finds himself in a shipwreck on a, on a deserted island. And Paul is a prisoner at this point, a prisoner in the Roman Empire. And yet it's Paul who steps up as the one who provides comfort during the storm. It's Paul who steps in and provides practical wisdom about what to do with the ropes during the midst of the storm on the boat. It's Paul who steps in and helps feed the crew as they're getting hungry and trying to figure out their rations. It's Paul who steps up and heals others even after he himself is bitten by a snake on the desert island. It's Paul who steps in as the courageous leader. Jonah is not shown as a courageous leader in this story. So we need to look to others to show us the opposite of what Jonah was showing us. And the last one here, the fourth one, not just courageous Christians, because if we're only courageous, that would be probably a little scary for the world, only people who are charging to the front, but we have to balance that courage with humility. The world needs Christians who have the kind of faith that is humble in the midst of crisis. Christians who show repentant hearts in public, admitting weakness, their failures and their own sins before others, who show a better way for the world. You know, I think of Peter as kind of the, the other example to go alongside Jonah. You know, there's, a, there's a part in the Gospels where um, Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot go. And Peter raises his hand and says, no, Lord, I will go anywhere you tell me to go. I would, I would even die for you. And then Jesus says, oh, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, I don't think, understood at that moment his, his own weakness. He, he was full of courage, but he didn't understand the humility and the repentance that he needed to really be a, a mature, faithful follower of Christ. But Peter learned that after the resurrection. And as he lived out his life, he became a humble, courageous leader. I think he led many people to the good news of Jesus as a result. So let me just leave you with this final image. Um, the kind of faith the world really needs. You know, we're, we've been focusing on this idea of identity. Where are we finding our identity in? Jonah had identity problems. It, it bites him. It, it clearly affects his his faithfulness to God. And sometimes we as Christians struggle with the same things. Um, but on Super Bowl Sunday, 
Um, there's going to be about 100 guys on a field tonight who are going to look for the answer to their identity that they've been vocationally striving after for a long time. And so as you watch the confetti fall tonight, I want you to look to see if you're seeing fully fulfilled faces. Because I'm guessing you're going to see people who are really happy and then it's going to hit them at some point. Maybe it's going to be on the cameras, maybe not. But you might see people who are realizing, is this all there is? This is what I've been working my whole life for? It doesn't feel the way I thought it would feel. And there's um, Troy Aikman is one example I have written down here of a guy in 1996, just won the Super Bowl. And he says, you know, you think once you win it, this is a quote from him. You, you think once you win it, all your problems are solved. But I've won two in a row and it hasn't solved one thing, not one thing. 26 years later, he gave an interview Troy Aikman then became an NFL broadcaster and then broadcast the Super Bowl. He was one of the commentators. And he said this, after calling the Giants-Patriots Super Bowl a few years ago, which was one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. So as a, as a TV announcer, he would say, this is, this is probably the pinnacle of where I'm gonna be. He said this, I think that's when I hit rock bottom as a broadcaster. At that moment, I felt like I had just broadcasted a game that I was proud of, but I'd never felt more empty. And I thought, man, if this is the pinnacle of this profession and I feel the way I feel, I may be in the wrong profession. No, you're not in the wrong profession. It's just your identity is placed outside of something else. So my encouragement to us is that primarily that first one of the four, that we would be Christians whose faith is defined by whose we are more than who we are. And then the courage, the humility, all the other things flow from that. So let me close us in prayer and pray for us as we finish. We'll sing one final song together. God, give us a, a, a clear view this morning into where we're placing our identity today as individuals. Um, you know, we don't have to be playing in the Super Bowl or a TV broadcaster to know that there are things that are are pulling at our identity heartstrings and just help us to see that nothing will satisfy us. Nothing will, will really give us the, the purpose and the meaning of life more so than understanding whose we are. It's not about where we were born, what our status is, what our race is, what our skills are. It's about being redeemed by the blood of Jesus that gives us our deepest meaning and purpose in life. So help us daily to, to find that. Um, so Lord, would you give our, give our hearts a, a tender re receptivity to that today. Help us to follow faithfully after Jesus uh, when we recognize that. So I pray for these folks today and then pray for this church that we would all discover that together and find in you our all in all. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.